Brew Strong is brought to you by Blickman Engineering, home of the top-tier brewing stand. Visit them online at BlickmanEngineering.com. Time for the beer radio you've been looking for. This is the show that dispels myths, tackles the toughest topics, and makes no apologies for geeking out on beer. Hosted by two guys that drink before they think, Jamil Zainashev and John Palmer. This is Brew Strong. Hey, howdy, hey, my brewing brothers and sisters. Greetings, greetings. All right. So back, to, back to the the nice and easy I know. John, a nice and easy Palmer. <laughs> How you doing, Mom? Is my, uh, my co-compatriot on uh, this brew strong. Yeah. <laughs> Which we have a lot of fun with. And we have a lot of fun because you guys uh, participate in the show and you... You have a lot of interesting questions and a lot of uh, interesting feedback for us that makes the show better, and uh, we really appreciate that. And and uh, you know the, the only thing we appreciate more, well, maybe about the same. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. Free beer. BlickmanEngineering.com. Yeah, there you go. And those guys are you know they're paying to help make this uh, possible. They're they're keeping uh, just in the ramen and condoms. And, uh, you know, stuff, that, stuff, the ramen. stuff that he needs. Especially the ramen. Yes, thank you, Palmer. <laughs> oh! <laughs> yeah, you know, uh, yeah, but, you know, without the listeners, then uh, I don't think uh, Blickman would be interested, you know, without, uh, you know, uh, that's why the, the listeners are, the listeners are king. They really are. I, I think, uh, you know, our beloved uh, John Blickman would, uh, would, uh, Go with that as well. Yeah, I know he really likes getting emails from from the listeners and and yeah. commenting, you know, thanking him for uh, support of the show. He's uh, he's you know he said how gratified he is to hear that uh, you know his sponsorship is is meaning something to people, mm-hmm. and uh, he enjoys hearing you know uh, about his equipment um, feedback. Absolutely. Yeah, feedback and you know the ideas for new equipment. And, um, in fact, he's got a uh, got a topic coming up at nhc this year mm-hmm. where he's talking about um you know innovations in the in uh home breweries um tips and tricks uh mm-hmm. you know gadgets uh ways to make your brewing day go better mm-hmm. and uh so any any um ideas that you you know uh, have uh you know things that you've done in your brewery that uh, may be of interest to other brewers you know, send them along to John. Uh, his email address for this is nhc two ten or twenty ten um, at blickmanengineering dot com, mm-hmm. and uh, he'll appreciate uh, putting together you know ideas from from y'all and uh, presenting them at the conference. You know, for other brewers like yourself. All right. Well, uh, you know, and one thing that's cool is you know. Uh Blickman's a uh, he's a businessman, but uh, yeah. you know I think he looked at this as well. You know, it may not be you know the most wise use of my my advertising dollars, but uh, all right, I'll take a chance. You know, these guys seem nice, and uh, 
sure, what the heck, and kind of threw in with us. And uh, I think, uh, you know, your feedback has, uh, you know, gotten back to him. It's like, oh, okay. You know, people do listen to the show, and people do appreciate this. And Yeah, he was amazed. I mean, I don't think he really th- thought we had an audience, but, you know, right. we believe you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Thought we were just lying. Yeah, we, yeah, we don't really believe it around here either. We figure it's just the three of us listening. But uh, and, and boop. And so it, it was nice that uh, you guys uh, responded to him and, and let him know that you, you do appreciate. It. So don't don't stop. You know he you know uh, give him some kind words for for paying for the show so you don't have to. And uh, that's that's a nice thing. I, 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 and we we, we really appreciate uh, Blickman for doing that. And as a matter of fact, um, you know I'm I'm doing this uh, road trip. I'm firing up the rv my friend peter simon's coming in from australia we're traveling from san francisco to minneapolis we're going to take eight days we're going to travel 2500 miles we're going to stop at 15 different uh, breweries along the way wow. and uh you know check out the the brewing network forum and i'll i'll post uh you know what our stops are going to be there you can come out join join up with us and uh you know say hi and uh maybe i'll have some bn merch that i can uh i can pawn off for for justin maybe some bn forge i might give you all the bn merch to lug out to nhc for me <laughs> there you go yeah load it up in the rv and yeah. uh, if you want something I'll, I'll give you a serious discount once i get my drink in me i'll start giving the shit away for free great <laughs> I'm like, oh, yeah sure justin you, would want you to have it it's okay don't worry you and chris graham <laughs> right exactly a couple drinks in you you're me, giving away me the and house chris graham, we're very similar <laughs> we are uh so uh and be heading out, but you know what? What I'm excited about is after the after the uh, conference, uh, my my daughter's flying out to to join me, and then uh, I'm gonna take the old Pope mobile. We're gonna we're gonna head down uh, like Route 66, and that's not too far from Blickman's place. Where I, and, and Blickman uh, invited me out. Come out, hang. On. He's got some daughters. I got some daughters. Nice. We both like beer. Yeah. Hey, it's a match made in heaven. I like daughters. <laughs> That's why you're not invited. I'm not on that leg of the trip. <laughs> so you're not on the trip. We're gonna, I'm, I think maybe we'll swing out by his place. And, That's great. Uh, kind of hang out a little bit. Yeah. It'd be a lot That'd of fun. Cool. I like that guy. He's 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 great. He's he's funny. You know, he's he's a, he's a, he's a serious uh, engineer and businessman and, and, and knows his stuff and really focuses on that. But I picture his house like the Edward Scissorhands castle. Like he's got <laughs> gadgets doing everything in there. <laughs> Yeah, but once you get a few beers into him, uh, you know he's he's just a, a geeky beer drinking engineering kind of guy. It's like it's like Palmer, right? You know? There you <laughs> exactly. go. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Both of my Johns are you know very similar. <laughs> uh, anyways, so I'm looking forward to that. That's going to be a blast, and and just being with my daughters and and going on a, a multi week trip in the the Popemobile will be uh, also a blast. So uh, we're going to travel from there back to California and. Uh, I'm sure I'll, I'll tweet a little bit, and hopefully I can hook up with some homebrewers then as well. My daughters don't mind as long as you guys are cool. They uh, they they know that uh, Dad really appreciates hanging out with uh, you folks. So uh, let's do it. Let's have a good time. Speaking about doing it, this is the live Q and A show. We try and do these every third or show episode because uh, you guys seem to really like it and yeah. uh, gives us a chance to answer things without having to type on a keyboard. Mm-hmm. So, right. All right. Do we have a uh, let's let's go ahead and knock one out right now, and then and then we'll take a break. Okay. So what's our first one? Well, we had an email come in from Dylan, who's going to be brewing a Belgian strong ale. It's uh, your recipe, Jamil. 
Um, he says, in which I'll use about five pounds of cane sugar. Mm-hmm. To hit my desired carbonation, I'll need to add another 41 points worth of priming sugar. So he says, I'm concerned because it's going to throw my Pilsner to cane sugar ratio way off. And I don't want to dry the beer out too much. Would I be able to get closer to the target beer by cutting down on the sugar I initially ferment with? That's an excellent question. And, you know, I question his calculation. That's what I was going to say is 41 points. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Holy smokes. That's That's way too much. Pound of sugar. It's, uh, I don't get, have anything about batch sizes. Either. Right. Well, yeah, it depends on the batch size. But it, but again, it's you know, in in it, if it was a, a million gallon batch, uh, you know, forty one points again would be like you know millions of pounds of sugar. Hmm. Yeah. Um, well, not millions of pounds, but um, uh, yeah. if yeah. if you consider that if you consider that uh, corn sugar or Corn sugar is about 42 points per pound per gallon. Uh, cane sugar is 46 points per pound per gallon. Um, I think, and, and we typically talk about adding three quarters cup or four ounces of sugar per five gallons. Um, four ounces out of 16 ounces, that's a quarter pound. So... Then, you know, in other words, the normal amount of sugar to add for a five gallon batch is about a quarter pound. Uh, 41 points, you know, of worth of prime sugar is about a pound. So that would, that would make me, susp- you know, think that, okay, he's brewing maybe a 20 gallon batch. But, uh, but again, 41 points would be, you know, that, that is, um, uh, also, you know, relative to the batch size. Yeah, and that's why I would say 41 points of prime sugar is more appropriate to 20 gallons than it is to 5 gallons. Well, I think, yeah, I think the thing is, he's going for four volumes, right? If oh, he's, he is. If, he, if he's doing go. a you know a golden strong, he's, he's going okay. four volumes. So that's about double the amount of priming sugar normal. And that's what he's yeah. saying. Because he's, he's saying, I haven't had a problem in the past because my beers are normally lightly carbonated. Right. But this golden strong, the desired carbonation is up there. Should it be a... a, a that much sugar? I don't know. Is he, you know, he's also got to take into account, uh, you know, existing carbonation. Yeah. Yeah. What does your nomograph tell you, John? Well, yeah. Uh, yeah I mean, it says four ounces of uh, cane sugar for what? Let's um, say, let's say, he's, say he's at 65 degrees. Yeah, see, well, yeah, let's say he said 65 and four volumes. You're still, you know, like seven ounces of cane sugar, right? Yeah, seven to eight, which is yeah. closer to a half, half pound, pound than a, yeah, we're double the no, double the usual amount of, say, four ounces. So Right. So oh. I think you're still okay with that. Um, you know, the, the, the sugars do have an effect on, you know, the ratio of, you know, malt to sugar, but, and, and the flavor of the beer. But really, um, you know, in that recipe, you know, we're talking, uh, you know, 26%, you know, when you're talking about um, uh, uh, the amount extract, of sugar in the batch. Yeah. If you do an extract batch, if you do an all grain batch, that percentage is even lower. It's close to 20%. Um, you're cool with adding an extra half pound. Um, I wouldn't. I wouldn't worry about. It. I'd go ahead and, and carbonate with that. Okay, yeah. he's in the, the, the chat now. Eight and a half gallon batch. 
Oh, eight and a oh. half. Oh, well. And he says, I do need to add, it says, I need to add over a pound of sugar to wow. hit 4.1 volumes. Well, the, 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 priming, the priming fermentation is, is usually not adding much flavor. All the, most of the flavors have been developed during the main fermentation right. in terms of yeast flavors and so on. So um, probably going to be okay. I think he'd be a good candidate, especially since it's a, uh, a high alcohol beer. Uh, you know, it's eight and a half percent alcohol, and uh, you know, I think he'd be a good candidate for trying to do a little bit of a uh, starter with his priming oh, sugar. Yeah. Yeah. You know, get the yeast active in the simple sugar, and then dump the whole thing in and and see what happens. You know, the 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 problem I have is, you know, on all these beers, I prefer to you know keg and counter pressure fill. Carbonate, forced carbonate. Yeah, forced carbonate. You know, just because I have far more control over it, and I don't tend to, to go that far into these mm-hmm. with, uh, you know, bottle conditioning. Uh, you know, one other thing you can do is, uh, you know, go ahead and bottle them when they still have, you know, a fair amount of yeast and activity and add some additional priming sugar at that point and, uh, you know, uh, kind of bottle at that time. You know, that's that's another option. Uh, you know, a lot of these Belgian brewers, what they'll do is filter out the yeast, and they'll add fresh yeast back. Uh, so that's another thing you're going to want to do on this. Is it okay to do that amount of uh, carbonation in uh, in regular 12-ounce bottles, too? You're pushing it. Yeah. Four is really pushing it. Three, three and a half, you're okay. And four, they start to crack. Because those little Duval bottles are stocky and thick, and, yes. right? Yeah. So, right. Um, you're better off using like uh, the 750 mil with the punt in the bottom, the uh, champagne bottles. Okay. Yeah. Um, those are those are a better choice. If you you know if you use the the cheap disposable 12 ounce brown bottles, they'll shatter at four. Uh, it, they'll they'll hold four, but you're right at the where if you tap them on something, they, right. they fall apart, and they can. You know, if it goes much higher than that, it can become explosive, and you have to be careful. Okay. All right. Well, we've got more questions, and we got people in the chat. So why don't we do a break and come back to it? Let's do a short break, and we'll be back with more questions from the chat room at thebrewingnetwork.com. Back after this. From the stovetop to a camp burner to some kind of brew stand, most homebrewers follow some version of this progression. With each move, a homebrewer will often have to change a lot, if not all, of their equipment. Until now, Blickman Engineering brings you the top-tier brewing stand, the only brewing stand that grows with you. For example, buy a top-tier floor-standing burner now, and it'll bolt right to your top-tier brewing stand when you're ready for all-grain brewing. The top-tier brewing stand is perfect for 5-gallon to 20-gallon batch sizes. Its modular design is adjustable and accommodates everything from small footprint coolers up to 30-gallon pots. How does the top-tier brewing stand do it? At its core is a strong, heat-treated, and anodized aluminum main post. On all four sides are built-in T-slots for the adjustable heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves and beefy burner tiers. The tiers accommodate any manufacturer's pots or coolers up to 21 inches in diameter. Best of all, not only does the top-tier brewing stand grow with your skills and equipment, but it easily knocks down for long-term storage or transport, too. The top-tier brewing stand from Blickman Engineering. Learn more at BlickmanEngineering.com and to find a local Blickman retailer and start brewing from the top tier. 
Downtown Joe's, located in the historic Oberon Building in beautiful downtown Napa, California, offers an award-winning brew pub experience from 8.30 a.m. to 1 a.m. every day. For 15 years at the corner of 2nd and Main, Downtown Joe's has been voted Best Night Spot seven times and Best Brew Pub for the last four years in a row. Brewmaster Colin Kaminsky's handcrafted ales, like his Tailwagon Amber Ale and Catherine the Great Imperial Stout, are the perfect accent to riverside dining, live music, and a relaxing outdoor patio. Don't miss the Beer of the Month, special rotating taps, and happy hour all day Mondays. Visit downtownjoes.com to make reservations, peruse their extensive calendar of events, or just read more about their fantastic beers. Come enjoy the fine beer, food, and music. Downtown Joe's, the award-winning brew pub where you'll feel at home. for the weekend and I'm wearing something flimsy. Listen, baby. I told her not to call me after 8. I gotta go. Who is that? Your girlfriend? Set up, thug. Did you guys get the cauldron set up on the altar of my yard? If you weren't so busy getting booty calls, you know that. Alright, I'm using the scroll of Moshir to boil the first decoction. You took too long. The color is now dark and past the point where you can still call it a pilsner. Yes, I hate it when Greg's the brewmaster. What's this, Poindexter Urkel? Dude, can't you see we're in the middle of a brew session? Is that an actual beer? Yeah, I crafted it. I don't really use the dice anymore. I'm a 10th level beer nerd. (gasps) Are you a 10th level beer nerd? Do you belch White Labs 833 and crap Simcoe? Then you're in good company at Northern Brewer. Check out Northern Brewer's huge selection of dorky beer kits, including the Cylon Detecting Three-Hearted Ale and the Collector's Item Super Alt. Mine's in mint condition because it's still in the box. Make 10th level at northernbrewer.com. Calling all homebrewers. Entries for the Samuel Adams Longshot American Homebrew Contest are due May 17th through May 28th. There's still time to get your beers entered. This year, the homebrew contest is all about Category 23, specialty beers. So start being creative and brew up a beer that doesn't fit into any of the traditional BJCP-style categories. Let your creative juices flow and enter your Category 23 homebrew. Here's your chance to have your beer brewed, packaged, and nationally distributed in the 2011 Longshot Package. And four finalists will be awarded a trip to the 2010 Great American Beer Festival in Denver, Colorado, where Samuel Adams will announce the winners. Visit SamuelAdams.com for all the details. Get your bottles in by May 28th. And as always, the entry fee is free. The Samuel Adams Longshot American Homebrew Contest. This year's Longshot could be all yours. Hilo, what's it feel like? Take awesome and multiply it by two. Yeah! <laughs> Spraying live beer radio all over your face. <laughs> Can't get any better than this, baby. <laughs> it's the Brewing Network. Back to the two guys that know how to turn beer into beer. This is Brew Strong. Woohoo! Beer. You're getting good at that. Oh, thank you. <laughs> beer into beer. I love right. that one. I like the nut thing. It's <laughs> yeah. kind of got a little personal touch for me, but. Uh, <laughs> you know, some wine guys. <laughs> no, I like, the, I, like that we, I like that we can still do the nut thing and not, <laughs> uh, you know, and not have a problem with. Uh, Silicone uh, or something. <laughs> yeah. 
I got stories to tell you, John. I got stories to tell you. Next time we're at NEC, I'll tell you all sorts of hor- horrific stories about the I've nut heard thing. most of them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Seen most of them on the internet. I have. Yeah. All right. What's our next question from the chat or from whatever source? Yeah, we'll go from the chat. Grodd uh, over in Australia is in the chat. He's brewing today. He says he has some dry US 05 mm-hmm. or Y yeast activator 1332. Northwest Ale Yeast. Uh-huh. I would normally just use the 05 in my ales, but purchased the 1332 yesterday because it sounded interesting. Uh-huh. Can Jay-Z or Rock Candy, uh, do, they have any, do they know anything about the 1332 that he should know? Northwest 1332. Hmm. Yeah. You guys know about the you Northwest pull that up on the, uh, the old uh, interweb there. And, uh, sure. Uh, is that, that's not the Pac-Man. No. That's, uh, Pac-Man's a different number. Um that is, God, Northwest, is that... Um, Pyramid? No. Uh, um, One of the classic ale Pyramid? strains from the U.S. Brewer, uh, from a Northwest U.S. brewery. Produces malty and mildly fruity ale with a good depth and, pl- and complexity. It doesn't Arr. say... I might have to dig a little deeper to find out whose it was, which Northwest brewery it was. Uh, or MrMalty.com and uh, Kristen Englund's uh, oh, yeah. yeast uh, chart there. Um, I'm not sure if that's on there. I, I just don't know. I'm not that familiar. Is that uh, Red Hooks? When they start could, talking fruity, they yeah, say mildly fruity. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't used full, them, so. full sale. Those? I don't know. Um, well, what kind Hales. of hails? Huh? Hales Brewery in Hales. Seattle. Hales Hales. All right. Uh, what what uh, what did Grod Stop. say he's brewing? He didn't say. <laughs> you got to give us more, don't you, Grod? Yeah. All right. So yes, go for it. Just says I'm brewing today. Okay. Now, Grod, you paid for the yeast. <laughs> Pitch it. Go <laughs> yeah, for it. Do it, man. Right. The dry yeast is much is uh, the the answer is the dry yeast is going to last for a long time. You you store it in your refrigerator. And properly stored in the refrigerator, you're only going to use lose like a, you know four uh, percent, you know, uh, like a six months or a year. So uh, properly stored, that thing's good for for a long time. The liquid yeast is not as stable quite as long, so I would go ahead and use that bad boy today. So whatever you're brewing, pitch it. You know, in the grand scheme of things, you can take any yeast and pitch it into any wort. And make a pretty damn fine beer if your fermentation characteristics are good. If you're, you know, starting with healthy yeast, you pitch an appropriate amount, you're given a good environment, some a dose of oxygen, not too much, not too little, you're going to make a great beer. Uh, or it's going to be an interesting beer, uh, you know, a well-made beer, and maybe it's not your cup of tea, that's fine. You go ahead and make a change. But it's well worth a try. And... At the end of the brewing this beer, you know, keep everything really sanitary, harvest that yeast, and you can go ahead and use it in another beer. And maybe it's a beer that, you know, would be more appropriate for this or not. But um, it's it's going to have more character than the uh, US 05, so go for it. Absolutely. All right. Kim was in the chat room. And her question, she says, uh, I didn't use enough. Kim Wood? Yeah, I think so. Oh. Yeah. Uh, I didn't use enough Carafa 2 in my stout. And I want to boost the SRM a little. Mm-hmm. I've heard you can just boil Carafa 2 and add that into secondary. Sure. 
Is that true? And what? Uh, how will that impact the beer? Uh, there are uh, there's a tiny bit of uh, starches, and uh, that could be convertible and fermentable in the carafa carafa special. As I, I suppose they're talking about, and, and I guess same thing, craft a non-special. Uh, the the thing you might consider otherwise is going with um, either uh, Cinnamar or Brees actually now makes a color extract the same as Cin- Cinnamar. Well, not the same, but similar in nature to Cinnamar. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can use either one of those and just color it up with that. Yep. So I wouldn't. I, I what I would do if you're gonna do uh, a. Uh, I would use Carafa Special if you're doing just coloring, because you don't use the non-special. The non-special has husks on it. The special is huskless, or you can use um, uh, chocolate wheat or any of those wheat ones. Those dark kiln wheat ones. They don't have a husk either. Yeah. And uh, because you're you, boiling, we don't want to boil husk. Right. And you know, grind them to a fine powder. Of the finest powder you can, and then you can go ahead and steep it or boil it or whatever to make whatever. And I would boil it to sanitize it, right? Chill it down, yep. but use a high concentration, and then um, you know, so you don't add a lot of liquid, uh, non-alcoholic liquid to your beer, and then adjust the color with that. No, I think it's a good question. I think uh, there you go. Good tips. Okay, uh, I had a caller. Uh, leave a message question for you guys this week. All right. And uh, it's about uh, mash temperatures and sweetness. It's kind of long, but here you go. Hey, what's up, boners? This is Matt from North Carolina. Uh, although I am currently in California, after having had my first taste of uh, pretty much everything the Russian River makes. So I have a question for Jamil and John and the Bruce Strong crew. Um, Okay, can you talk a little bit more about beer sweetness? Because you've alluded to a lot of this uh, in various shows, and it's like, all right, so people say you mash high and you'll end up with a higher final gravity, and that'll be sweet, dude. But I I don't think that's really how it happens. Like, there's some unfermentable uh, dextrins in there, and then some of those dextrins are unperceptible, imperceptible, I don't know, um, as sweet on the human tongue. So I'm just trying to figure out, like, do I mash low but make a really high-gravity beer, and and thanks to attenuation, that's going to leave, you know, really sweet-tasting sugars in my beer. Uh, So anyways, I'd, I'd love to hear a show about sweetness versus dryness. There you go. He's having a good time in California, as you can tell. But a good question. Yeah. What did he call us? <laughs> boners. 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 Mickey called you boners. Boners. Well, Matt from North Carolina. Good use of the word elude. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go, boners. All right. That's no. boners. No, I think uh, Matt has it actually right. He's, um, you know, this crap that... Uh, People talk about, again, I think this relates back to a previous show. We were talking about how, uh, you know, secondary, you know, back then when people weren't doing a lot of things right, secondary was useful. Same thing goes for, um, 
you know, people saying, okay, well, you know, if you have a high finishing gravity, your beer is sweet. Uh, well, yeah, if you don't, uh, and if you have lower finishing gravity, your beer is dry. Well, you know, if you have improper fermentation where uh, you're not completely fermenting out all those available sugars, the simple sugars and the slightly more complex sugars, and you have an average strength beer, and, uh, you know, the resulting gravity will probably mirror, you know, sweet or, or dry just because, you know, you've pitched in some crappy yeast that didn't do a, a, a very good job. That could be true. Now, today, people are doing starters. People are pitching healthy yeast. People are pitching, you know, correct, you know, amounts of healthy yeast. That's a lot less the case. Now, you know, those, you know, people were saying, well, if you mash at a higher temperature, you end up with a higher finishing gravity. And people are saying, okay, well, higher finishing gravity means a sweeter beer. People And people also call this malty, which is just a load of crap. Malty right. has nothing to do with sweetness. There's sweetness that can come from malt sugars, but that's not maltiness. Maltiness is the flavors of the malt, and that is bready and toasty and biscuity and all those other things. Um, I'm running on here, John. Uh, all right, so <laughs> no, you're doing good. You're doing good. All right, so uh, so we have the, this higher fishing gravity, but. With a higher mash temperature, you're getting like Matt from North Carolina that was drinking a Russian River and calling us uh, whatever he's calling us. Uh, uh, you know the the uh, experts. Yeah. Experts. That's that's what he. That's word he used. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, the the uh, like he was saying. You know these dextrins, these long chain dextrins, are not sweet. If you go down to your homebrew shop, they probably sell a packet of maltodextrin. Okay, maltodextrin, you can add beer, it adds like, you know, body. Uh, if you taste this maltodextrin powder, which I have, it, it's slightly sweet. You know, some people say it's not sweet at all. It's kind of a little slightly sweet. Um, but it's really, you know, you're when you taste it, you're tasting like, you know, a huge amount. Um, it really doesn't add a whole lot of sweetness. It adds body. It adds other things. And, you know, the sweetness that you detect from a beer that's fermented fully and you ferment out all the simple sugars and you ferment out most of the maltose and, uh, uh, you know, some of the other, you know, longer chain sugars, you know, the, the resulting sweetness that you may have in a beer like this is often a characteristic of, uh, you know, alcohols or it yeah. may even be your perception based off of certain flavors. You're, you taste a flavor of um, cherries or, uh, you know... Honey, honey or... Honey or whatever. Yeah, a honey character that comes from malt, from the from the, the, the malting. Not not honey sweetness, but honey... Flavor. Flavors. You know, if you taste honey, yeah, it, don't think about the sweetness, but think about everything else that's in there that makes it seem like honey, and you've got that character in your beer. All of a sudden, you think, oh, it's a sweet beer because I taste honey. And it may not be sweet at all. It, it may be those characteristics that are making you think of sweetness. And it really is a dry beer. And that's one of the, the cool things about these beers. You can have a beer that's dry and has a really dry character and a dry finish. And there's really no sugars and sweetness to it at all. It's all these long chain dextrins. 
and you have all these perceptions of sweetness from the alcohols and from the the malt and you think oh it's got a nice sweetness but it finishes dry oh that's a really nice beer all right palmer carry on (laughs) (laughs) no that's that's good uh that you're you've i think you've nailed it there's there's different perceptions of sweetness um due to flavors you will have uh, a beer that has fermented out but still retains uh Longer chain sugars that have a a sweet flavor to them, um, crystal malts. Uh, you know, you even even if you fully ferment out a beer, an amber ale that's been brewed with a lot of crystal malt, you can taste residual sweetness. You can taste mm-hmm, caramel mm-hmm, flavors mm-hmm. And, and flavors that you interpret as sweet. Right. Just like we talked about with the honey, the two five pentane dione and so on. Uh, it will it, you will perceive it as sweet. But it is not due to residual sh- um, fermentable sugar. It's not glucose, fructose, sucrose. Right. It's not. It's not those sugars that are. There are even maltose. It's. It's other things that are that are making making that uh, uh, apparent character. And you know, higher finishing uh, finishing gravity doesn't necessarily mean sweet. And I, I've told the story a few times. Um, uh, Mike Tasty McDowell, he offered me two of uh, a Belgian pale ale that he brewed. And he's like, you know, what do you think of these? And I'm drinking them, and I'm like, well, this one is, you know, sweeter than the other and has a higher finishing gravity. And, you know, this other one's nice and dry and crisp, and I like this one better because, you know, it's, it didn't finish too sweet. He said, well, the interesting thing is he was like, the one that you think is, you know, sweeter and higher fishing gravity, that one finished like at, you know, ten eight. And he said the other one that you think is, you know, got the you know, lower finishing gravity is drier, it's like ten fourteen or whatever it was. And I was stunned. I'm like, You're telling me there's, you know, a six point, eight point, ten point difference, whatever it was between these two beers. And the yeah. one that I'm thinking is sweeter you know, finish drier. Yeah, and it was you like had him up against rele- the wall. Relevation you know, to me. Swearing. <laughs> and then I punched him three yeah. times really hard. <laughs> and he I, still swore. It was, you had it wrong. Yeah. I like that you're passionate about this topic. You have yeah. caught me and taught me uh, talking about malty and sweet beers before. Uh-huh. And, and I like that you talk about the difference because especially when your, your palate is, is learning, it is easy to confuse the, the uh, malty, and the residual sweet type of flavors. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. really easy, actually. Right. So I, yeah. I do like that you go off on this yeah. topic, Jay-Z. And, and, and it is such, a, such an interesting field of study. I think there's a lot of people who are really looking into this. Oh, yeah, and I bet you the food scientists are all over this. They really already oh, yeah. understand this 100%. Hmm. And it's the brewers that are just kind of like, well, right. just kind of learning. Uh, well. We're always bad because we're slackers. Although, you know, <laughs> I, I bet you like Bamforth and Lewis already know everything about sure. this. Mm-hmm. And where they're just kind of like, well, chuckling and, yeah, you know, trying to help teach us. Be but, a good uh, topic to bring up to Banforth next time we have him around. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, in fact, Jamil, um, Charlie agreed with you with, on my oat malt question. Why is oat malt sweet, seem oh! to be sweeter than barley malt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tannin perception. Yep. There you go. Tannin character. Right. There's no other, there's no other uh, answer for that. Yeah. You know, uh, it, yeah, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, my, my, one of my theories had been that maybe uh, a little different protein, uh, you know, profile, 
you know, how you get, you know, you get your, what, NutraSweet and other aspartame and different, you know, artificial sweeteners, mm-hmm. you know, proteins can taste sweet. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, he, but when you when you kind of consider so... the fact that you got the same group of protease enzymes right, acting right. on the oats as you right. on the barley, he said it really it the really the sugars you're generating are the same and the proteins you're generating are all the same and yeah it comes down to the difference in tannin character if if it exists at all yes right if if you are really perceiving a difference in sweetness between using oats and using barley barley. Then it's, said it's yeah. most likely tanning character, and I would question whether you really perceive that or not. You mm-hmm. know, or, or it's people's imagination. Oh, I used oats, therefore I need to detect a different uh, a difference. You well, know, I think there you is. Can use, a- you can use rice. You can use oats. You can use you know all these different grains. The resulting sugars that are created are the same because the enzymes are the same. Yeah, yeah. I think there is a little difference in flavor between, a, say, an oat malt of Two lower bond and a barley malt, a two lower bond. Um, and again, it's it's the tannins, it's the the, the malting, it's you know, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Although you know those those Simpson naked golden oats from uh, that I got from uh, Northern Brewer, yeah, they've got a definite flavor difference. Oh yeah, I mean yeah. those those are substantially different. Anyways, so we, we've got off the sidetrack, but what we're talking about is uh, John's got an article coming out in Brew Your Own magazine. Uh, if you, if you want to see it, you know, hurry yourself over to uh, thebrewingnetwork.com. There's a big uh, logo there, Brew Your Own. Click on that. Sign up for a subscription. If, you, if you're not subscribing, I, I do a, a, a column for the past three or so years on style profiles. I get into lots of details that I can't get into on the shows. You uh, you can sign up there, and uh, half that uh, half that subscription price goes directly to the Brewing Network. So uh, get yourself there and do it. And, and John's got this great article on uh, using oats in uh, in brewing. That's kind of what we got sidetracked on. Yep. But, I didn't uh, uh, I didn't realize you've been doing your column for three years now for them. I think so. Wow. <laughs> just, Time is flying over here. I know. I, t- I took a look at it. It's it's. it's several years. I was like checking them off in the book. I'm trying to do like every style in the book. Yeah. I was like, oh my god! It's, <laughs> it's or maybe been a while. this is my third year. I wow. don't know, but it's it's a bunch. It's yeah. it's it's a bunch. Great. All right, so uh, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll uh, get to more of your questions in the, uh, the live uh, the live show, live Q and A coming up after this. Keep your carboy cap on. This is Bruce Strong. We'll be right back. Do you support the Brewing Network? Do you brew your own? Are you looking for any economical, fun, and legal way to do both? Subscribe to Brew Your Own magazine and do just that. All year long, Brew Your Own will surprise you, entertain you, and educate you with articles on beer and brewing from authors like the Brewing Network's very own Jamel Zedashev and John Palmer. Each issue is a full pint of brewing techniques, homebrew stories, tips and photos, projects to make yourself, and recipes for the avid home brewer. Get your tough questions answered by Mr. Wizard and polish your style accuracy with Jamel. 
A portion of every subscription goes to the Brewing Network, so subscribe today at byo.com slash brewingnetwork or just click the BYO logo on the Brewing Network homepage and support a fantastic hobby and your favorite broadcaster. Brew your own. The How-To Homebrew Beer Magazine. Hey, what are you doing, man? Writing a review of WLP 400. What? You're reviewing yeast? Yeah. White Labs has home brewer reviews of all their strains. Are you new to these interwebs? Check it out. That's awesome. White Labs, your source for great yeast, invites all brewers to visit whitelabs.com to read and write your own reviews of all their yeast strains. Get real-world tips and tricks from other brewers who have made the most of their vials and post your own experiences. It's another way White Labs brings you closer to the best yeast on the planet. And send. There you go. You misspelled flocculate, dude. What? Ah. White Labs. It's all in the vial. Hi, this is Push from the Brewing Network, and I want to tell you about the Brewmaster's Warehouse and how you can get 10% off your next order. I'm a pretty techie guy, but I've never seen an online store like this. It's awesome. Go to brewmasterswarehouse.com and click on Brew Builder. You can whip up a custom recipe so easily even Sven could do it. Seriously, it's slick. You can share your recipe with your own logo and notes to the Brewmaster's database if you want. And the best part, it keeps a running tally of the beer you're building while you're doing it. Then, bam, click Buy Recipe, and your cart is filled and ready to go with helpful suggestions in case you forgot something. This thing is amazing. Brewmaster's Warehouse is run the way a home brewer would do it, with great service, fast turnaround, and $6.99 flat rate shipping. Brewmaster's Warehouse and the Brew Builder blew me away. Check it out today at brewmasterswarehouse.com. I'm serious. And don't forget to put BNARMY in the discount code box for 10% off your order. Check out brewmasterswarehouse.com. Cheers. BN Army members, are you looking for a discount on hops? Keep listening. Nico's Homebrew Supply at nicobrew.com has hops by the ounce and by the pound. Choose from varieties like Amarillo, Centennial, East Kent Goldings, Holly Tower, Simcoe, Summit, Tomahawk, Warrior, Willamette, and more. And adding new varieties all the time, many for less than 20 bucks a pound. Whether a couple ounces at a time or an 11-pound bag, all hops are shipped vacuum-sealed and frozen straight to you. Nico's Homebrew Supply offers store-wide $5 flat-rate chip and won't waste your money on unnecessary overhead or advertising. They're going bare bones and passing the savings on to you. The staff at Nico's Homebrew Supply loves to brew and is committed to keeping homebrewing affordable and accessible to anyone who wants to join in this great hobby. And for a limited time, use coupon code BNARMY at checkout for a Brewing Network discount. Visit NicoBrew.com. That's N-I-K-O Brew.com for your hops and more. NicoBrew.com, your bare bones buddy in the brewing business. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. The new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. 
Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess, the The More Beer beer Deal deal of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the More Beer Deal of the Day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonated. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Back to the beer guys that make other beer guys look like wine guys. Brew strong. I like how the the music coming back from a break sounds like porn music. <laughs> I hadn't thought that. <laughs> I do every time. Goes goes along with the package ganza that we just did. <laughs> package ganza. The package orgy. The package gasm. Yeah, the package gets it. Package, package gasm. gasm. All about packaging your beer. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> All right. All right. What do we got? We got more questions. Grodd's got another question from Australia. This one's clear and makes sense. Aren't those people asleep by now? <laughs> he says, I batch, sparge, uh, I batch sparge Denny Khan style, and I don't raise the temperature for a mash-out. What are the issues with not doing a mash-out temperature? Uh, really um, very few. Um, the The mash-out accomplishes a couple things. Um it stops your uh, enzyme activity. You're denaturing most of your enzymes when you do a mash out. Um, so if you're if you're if you've put a lot of time and effort into generating a certain fermentability profile, when, you know, doing a step mash, you know, so much time at this temperature and so much time at that temperature, to you know, trying to target a certain fermentability, uh, a mash out is good because that'll lock that in. Um, if you don't care, you know, if you're just, you know, you're, you're making wort and you're going to ferment it and, you know, you're not too concerned about it, then uh, mash out isn't necessary from that point of view. The other thing a mash out does is it makes the, the, the sugars more fluid and increases your, your extraction, uh, your efficiency, extraction efficiency from the grain a little bit uh, by, you know, a few points. So, um, if you don't do a mash out, perhaps you're leaving a little bit of efficiency behind, um, not getting some of the sugars out um, when you when you lauder when you do your batch sparge. Um, you know, if you're using enough grain where you're getting you know you're getting your target gravity out of your out of your mash and sparge, uh, then don't worry about it. You're not really you're not missing anything by not doing a mash out. All right. Good, because I've never done one in my life. No, it's not true. I've done one mash out in all the beers I've ever done. I, mean, yeah, I would say the only thing is, um, you know, if you're raising up for a mash out, let's say you're doing a, a you know, a 149 or you know, some low mash temperature and you're raising yeah. up for a mash out. True. And you raise up slowly, you know, your system has a restriction on how fast you can raise your mash temperature, which most of them do. Um, you know, you are traversing through those other, uh, you know, uh, 
uh, amylase ranges and you know there may be some change in you know before you get to there total but, conversion you know, yeah you know uh, and i you know i i look at uh you know the uh, uh mash out as a chance to make sure that i've converted <laughs> as many starches as i can so i don't really care what the fermentability is i'm like yeah, well you know if there's any leftover starches yeah yeah what the heck you know, let 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 the activity happen and it thins it out, like you're saying. Um, and the thing to remember is, you know, once you put your wort in your kettle, you can go ahead and fire up your kettle burner and heat it up. And if you get it up past like you know 165, you get it up in the 165 170 range. Enzyme activity pretty much is stopped for all the enzymes you care about, and uh, right. you know, you're done. So. It, it, if that's a concern to you, go ahead and and you don't want to do a mash out. Fire up your kettle burner, you know, soon, and uh, you know that takes care of it. You, know, you lose the efficiency aspect that John was talking about, but n- nothing else. All right, load and return is in the chat today, and he's going to be buying a conical or two in the next few months. And he says that uh, it seems that the cost for a, a seven and a fourteen, uh, fourteen gallon conical, um, is about the same. So he wants to know, can I do a six-gallon batch in a 14-gallon conical? And uh, what, are the, what are the drawbacks or differences in doing something like that? Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> you, you can. I mean, you could, you could ferment your beer in, you know, a one-inch shallow, you know, layer. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it affects the, um, you know, fermentation characteristics will be affected. Um, doesn't necessarily mean it'll make bad beer. Is that the headspace issue? Because you just have this massive amount of right. Well, yeah, just uh, you know, height to to volume ratio. You know, so um, and you know, the 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 lower the height, you know, the less uh, you know, pressure on the yeast, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, makes makes a difference. And then also, um, uh, just uh, fermenter geometry. Like if you have it in square corners or you know, narrow cones, um, you end up with portions of the wort that don't circulate as well, and you can build up, uh, you know, you can end up with more, a little more diacetyl production, things like that. Yeah. I, you know, I've, I've got a, uh, I've got a seven gallon conical and which, you know, for five gallon batches. And, um, the thing I've kind of realized is I almost wish I'd gotten the 14, because uh, if I'm going to do a 10-gallon batch um, and I don't feel like splitting it into two carboys, it'd be nice you know, to ferment it all in one mm-hmm. and then you know, split it up in the kegs. Um, the, I've got, in other words, I've got, I've got carboys that I can do a 5-gallon batch in. I don't have a container, that, a fermenter that I can do a 10-gallon batch in if I want that mm-hmm. to be a single right. brew and uh i'm with you on that because you know the, the whole reason i had a, a larger conical was like well it's such a pain to have to separate out into multiple fermenters and sanitize and clean multiple fermenters and deal with multiple fermenters and have pitch to multiple fermenters and have slightly different uh, fermentation multiple fermenters you know that's why i wanted a, a larger conical i ended up just giving it a chad and justin but you know i i really think that that um we love it 
you know, that's a that's a real advantage. But for somebody like me, where you know nobody comes and drinks my beer, so mm-hmm. you know, pouring most of it away. Yeah, <laughs> so, get for moving out to the boonies, man. Well, the Pope Estate could not be uh, could not fit here in Pacheco. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> in all of Pacheco. I love it. Yeah, all of Pacheco could not handle the Pope State. Uh, wow. It really requires a much larger <laughs> spread of land. Okay. So, yeah, I, you know, uh, you know, if you, I always, you know, liken it to, uh, you know, somebody's asked me uh, boil kettle sizes. And, you know, if you're going to do, you know, you have to decide what kind of brewer are you. You're a brewer who brews, you know, five-gallon batches all the time, and every once in a while you're going to brew a 10-gallon batch because you have to, you know, provide beer for some party or something or, you know, some beer that you're going to lager for a long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, then you're, you know, five-gallon batch size with squeaking out a 10-gallon. If you're like, well, you know, all the neighbors come over and drink, and I drink heavily every day. I mean, my good friend Matt Staley down in uh, – down in uh, Los Angeles, apparently he drinks about five gallons every week. He's you know just alcoholic. <laughs> Anyways, uh, nice guy, but you know, he's, he's lots got, of friends. He's, he's got the the problem with the drink. Um, you know, he needs to brew you know much larger batches. Uh, or you have a lot of friends. Maybe Matt has lots of friends. Uh, maybe that's it, and then he doesn't have an alcohol problem. I'm just saying. Um, then. Uh, uh, you know, you need to, to, to you brew mainly ten gallon batches, and every once in a blue moon you'll do a five gallon because I don't know why you do a five gallon, but you know. So if you're, you know, you'll know if you're a ten gallon, a five gallon, fifteen. You, sh- you should have a sense of it, especially if you've been brewing for a little bit, and uh, you know, go with that size thing. Don't overthink. Oh, I also need to do these things. Yeah. Don't if you're a five gallon brewer, don't. Overthink it and force you to do, you know, ten gallon size in all your. If if you're, you know, don't buy a fourteen gallon fermenter. If you're doing five gallon batches ninety nine percent of the time, it'll make you not brew. Right, right. You know, and you don't want that. Right, exactly. So you know, on those rare occasions that you do do a, a ten gallon batch. You know, split the the rest in a carboy. The people who are swilling the beer at that point, they, they don't know the difference. That's right. Oh. There's no, your answer. We do not. Yeah. Uh, one other comment: you can you can brew a batch, you know, boil a batch, uh, a five gallon batch in a in a ten or fifteen gallon pot, you know, like a kegel or a fifteen gallon, you know, um, Blickman pot. But uh, and that works fine. But you have a hard time. You have a, you have more problems in trying to ferment uh, a five gallon batch in a fourteen gallon conical. It could do to the geometry uh, issues you were talking about, Jamil. Hmm. All right. One more question before the break. And we've had this this come up before. Good question for you, John Palmer. Thomas Franson's in there. He says, uh, what about adding salts to the boil uh, in order not to mess with the mash pH? Um, you know, if the mash yeah. is already fine without salts in it, what's the difference in the final beer if we put our salts in the boil? Well, what you, what you're doing with that is, let let's say you're trying to emulate uh, Dortmund water, you know, and you and your water is uh, has a lot less mineral in it. Um, you add salts, 
you know, to a Dortmunder concentration uh, type concentration in your mash ton. You know, you're brewing a traditional Dortmunder style beer. You add, you know, th- that level of salts to get a Dortmunder t- style water in your mash ton. Um, but now you're going to sparge. Well, you don't need you don't need the salts in the water to sparge with if you've got softer water than what you're what you're uh, mashing with. Uh, you're not going to change your mashed pH by mashing with softer water, and by softer I mean um, less minerals, less alkalinity. Um, you're not going to drive the pH in any way. It's gonna it's gonna stay pretty st- stable. Uh, so then what you can do is you can you can you know, lauder that mash and transfer you know transfer all it all the work to the boil kettle and then now that you're in the boil kettle you can say okay I'm still trying to brew a a Dortmunder style beer and I want a total uh, Dortmunder water character in this beer so that's where you you would add salts to the boil kettle to make up for the volume of sparged with um, and you're doing it just to bring your total total water content that you used up to that Dortmunder level. And then, you know, you boil it for the, the hour, hour and a half, whatever you're doing. Those salts concentrate just like you've been brewing with actual Dortmunder water. I mean, you know, people in Dortmund, there when they boil their water, the salts concentrate. So all of that goes into the final beer. Um, it's really, it's no more uh, complicated than that. You're just trying to if you're trying to match a uh, particular water, uh, do it in your mash, sparge, you know, because you don't have to worry about it then, and then make it up in the kettle so that your final beer has uh, the as-boiled concentrations of salts uh, for the water you're trying to emulate. Make sense? All right, let's take a short break, and when we come back, we'll wrap up with the last few questions in the chat room. Back after this. Smart. Brew Strong. This is Brew Strong. When Blickman Engineering set out to design a great brewing stand, they knew it had to be strong, adaptable, and last for a lifetime. The top-tier brewing stand is now proudly available at BlickmanEngineering.com. It grows with your brewing skills and equipment. Start with 5-gallon coolers on its heavy-gauge stainless steel shelves. Then move all the way up to 30-gallon pots on the high-output burner tiers. Speaking of burners, the custom Blickman Engineering top-tier burners are extremely powerful, efficient, and amazingly quiet. They have safety stops to center your pot, and they'll last a lifetime and won't rust. The top-tier brewing stand allows virtually infinite combinations from traditional gravity systems to two tiers to completely horizontal. Configure your stand the way you want and have the freedom to change it at any time in the future. 
Your brewing stand should adapt with you, not force you to learn a new process. Visit BlickmanEngineering.com today to configure your top-tier brewing stand and to find a local Blickman retailer. You'll be surprised with all the flexible features and the competitive price. Start brewing with Blickman from the top tier. Williams Brewing is your online resource for prompt delivery of quality home brewing supplies. Since 1979, Williams Brewing has offered the finest equipment and freshest ingredients and the best customer service in the business. Cut hours off your brewing sessions by using one of our 11 varieties of famous Williams malt extract. Our Williams Belgian Pale Extract is mashed with pure Belgian two-row malt and a small percentage of Belgian wheat malt for an authentic Belgian character you just can't get from other extracts. Or check out our unique fermenters, two-and-a-half-gallon kegs, paintball tank-based draft beer equipment, bottling aids, and much more. We even have our own line of precision hydrometers. Go to williamsbrewing.com to browse our vast selection. That's williamsbrewing.com. Orders placed by 3.30 p.m. Pacific time ship the same day. Brewing is easy. The Williams way. Nico, listen, our lawyers said that we had to do this for one hour, and after this, we don't have to talk to each other for three more months until the next meeting. Kids. Come on, let's get out of here. I'm supposed to have more lines. I'm the professional. <clears throat> Hey, it's Sully. And I'm Nico. And we opened the 21st Amendment 10 years ago at 563 2nd Street in San Francisco, just two blocks from Giants Park, to make great beer and have a great time doing it. That's right, because to us, the 21st Amendment is more than just the right to make beer. It's the right to experiment, to be innovative, and just do things differently. And so now, we're putting our craft beer in cans. That's right, cans. You can find our world-famous Heller High Watermelon Wheat Beer at Brew Free or Die IPA in the Northeast, Northwest, parts of the Midwest, and Alaska in cans and on draft. So next time you're at your local neighborhood pub or good beer store, be sure to ask for 21st Amendment in cans. Because everyone likes it in a can. Tasty Crack Cans. Tasty Crack Cans. Hey, Push, the new brewery's looking good. Thanks, Finn. Piece by piece. Well, let's fire up. Whoa! Is that a new kettle? Yeah, just got it brand new, but paid half price. What? And that blade scale? 40% off. The new tap handle? Five bucks instead of 13. Got a new regulator for the brew stand, too, but five bucks instead of 25. Dude, where are you stealing all this stuff from? Where else? The more beer deal of the day. Announcing the Beer, Beer, and More Beer Deal of the Day. Every day, a new fantastic deal from big items to small that will blow you away. Boil kettles, carboy carriers, sterile siphon starters, digital timers. Watch morebeer.com every day for a new deal, and you just might find the item you've been waiting for at a price you cannot believe. Hurry, because stock is limited on most items. And that sweet Guinness cap, let me guess. The The More more Beer beer Deal deal of the day. Day. Yeah, I knew it. Come on, let's brew something. Find the More Beer Deal of the Day at morebeer.com. Celebrity voices impersonate. This is www.thebrewingnetwork.com. Sit down next to it, grab yourself a paper towel, and watch those yeast have sex. You're listening to the Brewing Network. Like the Lance Armstrong of the beer world. Except for that nut thing. This is Bruce Strong. All right, we're back. We're doing a live Q&A show. We try and do these every uh, third show or so because they seem to be popular. You guys seem to like these things. And uh, uh, that's cool with us. Uh, we don't mind uh, 
you know, throwing out uh, whatever information we have based on the questions you have. Yeah. So the show a lot is a good question this time. Exactly. Oh, well, every time. You know, the 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 show is all about the listeners and, and what the listeners want to uh, learn about. You know, all these other topics that we come up with, they are based on questions that have been asked, or you know, show topics that have been suggested at uh, uh, Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork dot com. So you email Bruce Strong at thebrewingnetwork dot com. And say, hey, uh, you should do this. You know, I got this question. This is something I've always wondered about, and uh, that's believe it or not, that's where all the shows come from. And uh, uh, you know, and the rest, it's it's live Q and A because we, you know, we've got thousands of uh, questions coming in, and we can't cover them all in you know whole shows by themselves. Uh, the topics that lend themselves to that, we'll, we'll do that. But uh, other than that, we want to go ahead and do these live Q and A shows. So uh, good stuff. Good questions. All right, let's wrap it up. We got a couple more questions, and then we're going to call it quits because we're we're already over an hour, and uh, it's only supposed to be hour shows. Yeah, I got a couple more in at the break too, but a couple of them can go real quick here. Sure. Um, so here's one uh, that's real quick. If I use uh, oak in primary, like uh, he listened to the Shea uh, Comfort show where mm-hmm. Shea Comfort uh, talked about using oak on the session. So Mills wants to know, if I use oak in primary, like Shea spoke about, is it okay to repitch that yeast after a rinse? Sure. Yeah? Yeah. Won't carry over that? No. Oakiness? No, not really. Okay. I mean, there may be some, but it's mainly in the liquid surrounding the yeast. It's not inside the yeast. So if you do a rinsing, uh, you know, with uh, sterile water, then, you know, most of that is not carrying over. Okay. I agree. All right, good. Uh, hey, Wood was in the chat room. He wants to know if, you, if you're ever going to post a video of how you reuse yeast. You mentioned, he says, that you would do that a long, 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 long time ago. I also said I'd post a video of me and Andy Wood. <laughs> and I haven't seen that. Bow, shake a wah, wah. <laughs> well, we just did a whole how to uh, uh, save and store yeast show uh, well, we did some. This didn't one. we do some? Re- I don't know. But there's no video of it, so he just wants to know: is this a will there? Is this a reality? Will there ever be a short video of you showing us how you reuse really your say yeast? That? God, I must have been drunk. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, uh, you know what we should do is, you know, uh, Wood, you should come by my place, and uh, we should like. You know, rinse and store and repitch yeast. And bring a video camera. Bring a video camera. We'll go. do that afterwards. <laughs> yeah. You and me, buddy. <laughs> no, I actually had my daughter, uh, you know, help me with some photos of uh, rinsing and uh, yeast and stuff in, in different bottles um, for the yeast book with Chris White. Oh, okay. So uh, Chris White's uh, yeast book, and I worked on that with him. Uh, uh, you'll see some photos in there that my daughter helped me with. Cool. Okay, San Diego Matt's in the chat. Um, wants to, he's got a question about diacetyl rest. How long do I do a, di- a diacetyl rest, and what temperature uh, do I do it at before I lager my beer? Depends. Right. <laughs> so <laughs> the few more degrees than where you're at now. So it's really based on yeast activity. It's not based on fixed act, fixed temperature. So you've been fermenting your beer along at uh, 50 degrees. Okay, go to 55 or 60. You've been fermenting your beer at 65. Okay, go to 70 or 75. 
uh, you know, it's really just an increase in activity. You want the yeast to remain as active as possible at the end of fermentation when they're running out of the sugars that are easier for them to consume, and then they start looking for things like these intermediary compounds of diacetyl and all these things and see the aldehyde that they say, okay, well, we spewed those out earlier, but gee, we can still get a little more energy out of those. So it's all about creating energy. Uh, right. You know, yeast don't want to create alcohol, but they have to in order to get energy. Yeast with a, an aerobic condition, they're going to generate like eight times the amount of energy from a, a molecule of uh, glucose than they do when they do anaerobic and they have to ferment. So it's better for them to do certain things. So they take the easy path. It's like, you know, fermenting glucose versus, you know, more complex sugars. They don't have to do anything other than let it in and, you know, uh, convert it into energy. Uh, when it's more complex sugars, they have to break it down into simpler sugars, and then they have to, you know, there's a lot of energy they expend in order to make that happen. Uh, you know, being, you know, take the, you know, yeast are like children. Take the, they always want to take the easy way out. Yeah. They're not looking towards the future. They're looking towards what they're doing now. And, uh, you know, when it comes down to it and there's no simple sugars left, they look at these things and they go, well, I can take that in. I can make energy out of it. And uh, so there they go. So really you just want to have the yeast energetic at the end of fermentation. That's why fermentation temperature is so important. Uh, you want to control that temperature. You, you know, the yeast activity drop off, the, the temperature of fermentation drops you want to maintain fermentation temperature at the end. You want to be heating that beer up, not letting it cool down naturally. You want to keep it warm, and that's your sign to bump it up a few degrees. Three, yeah. five, ten degrees. Five degrees generally works, especially if you catch it early enough. As soon as you see things start to look like they're slowing, add three to five degrees Fahrenheit, and uh, it'll, you know, the yeast will keep chugging along. You get better attenuation. They'll they'll absorb all the those diacetyl and everything else. Yeah. The initial condition. I mean, if you mm-hmm. if you pitch warm, mm-hmm. you know, if you pitch at a at a temperature that's above your primary fermentation temperature mm-hmm. for a lager, you're going to generate more diacetyl. You're going to generate more precursors, precursors which, yeah. which are going to turn into diacetyl. And if you don't raise the temperature at the end of fermentation, then they probably will not have have eaten up. Reduce that diacetyl that was generated early on. You will have um, diacetyl, yeah. Yeah. If you instead, if you um, pitch cold at your primary fermentation or slightly below, and, uh, then, and then raise that, te- you know, and let yeah. it raise through fermentation and keep it keep it up. Right. Then you, you'll have mm-hmm. you'll have less diacetyl to take care of at the end, yep. and you won't, and you less need to raise the temperature. Yeah, Soren Soren Targerson of uh, uh, sorry, let me click on this email message here. He sent it into Bruce Strong this morning. He, oh, fucking a. Um, <laughs> oh, 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 Palmer pulling the f bomb. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> on the air. He just dropped okay. that. Right, Mr. On nice your, and easy. Just dropped that right on my foot. <laughs> Going fucking a. <laughs> what the heck? Yeah. Oh, that's what happens when you do the show from Grand Central. Yeah, but a Soren Tigerson from Denmark uh, sent in a qu- similar question on diacetyl, uh-huh. and he's saying, "I know, I know how to avoid getting diacetyl in my beer, mm-hmm. but now I want to make a clone of Pilsner Urquell, so I need a touch of diacetyl. Mm-hmm. 
So how do I control the amount of diacetyl if I want some in my beer? Uh, yes, 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 yes. And I, you know, I think a lot of the the diacetyl in Pilsner Urquell is from uh, you know um, oxidation and aging characteristics as it travels over here. You know, uh, the report that uh, a lot of people give is, well, if you have it there at the brewery, there's no diacetyl. Ah, okay. So, I, I don't know. But a lot of these compounds, they'll, they'll oxidize and become diacetyl, so. Yeah. Well, you know, one way to to retain some is to not do a diacetyl rest at the end of fermentation. Yeah, yeah. Um, or, you know, and pitch warmer and then ferment cooler. Right, right. Uh, to generate more. Yep. Um, See, well, <sighs> hold on to your oar. I'm I'm paddling a different way. Okay. I think that uh, you know anybody who's listening to this show, if you're pitching warm and then cooling down for fermentation, then screw you. You know you should be pitching cooler <laughs> or at fermentation temperature with appropriate amount of yeast, and then going on from there. And that's you know that's why I don't I don't even consider that part of the equation anymore. Uh, you know, no pitchy warmy, you know yeah. pitchy pitchy coolie, pitchy pitchy at uh, appropriate temperature with a more power to with the yeah. right <laughs> amount of yeast, a healthy yeast, and then go from there. If you're gonna do something else, don't email me. Don't 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 ask these questions. <laughs> oh, you know, uh, you know you're, you're you're ticking me off. I don't know. I'm gonna <laughs> see the angry the angry Jamel again. I don't yeah. know. I don't blame you. It's been asked and answered. No, but I I understand because people are told to 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 do that, but and and they're told to do that for a reason because uh, you know the worst thing is not to have the beer fermented out at all. Yeah, that's absolutely the worst, and and to have such bad activity that the bacteria that your slovenly ways mm. have allowed into the wort uh, to to take hold that's even worse. All right, so all yeah. those things are are really bad. So if, it's if a that's fail safe. if if that's who you are as a home brewer, which you know when people start out, that's how they are. Yeah, and until they listen to the brewing network. Really, right? God, most of us. God, you know, the word from God to us, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, uh, then then they're 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 going to behave this way, and it, it's not you know they need things like you know tossing your yeast in when it's really warm, and you know just to get the beer to ferment and not be crappy. But when you're really trying to make the best beer possible, that's not the way to go. So, yeah. All right. I, I almost wouldn't. Another Try key. To clone it's not Pilsner bad advice. That, that, it's just, it's not best advice. I don't yeah. know. Another T-shirt has been invented here on this episode. No pitchy warmy. <laughs> no pitchy warmy. <laughs> Sweet. That's, you know, a whole series of them. That's no two shirts today. And snap me off a fresh piece of that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I like it. The, good, the Jameel series. That's right. Tease. All right. Uh, give my thumbs up on those. We're out of time, guys. That's it for questions today. All right. Oh, it's been, a, it's been a good show. <laughs> Did you have something else to yeah, say? All right, Palmer. Uh, Mr. No, no, no. Nice and easy. All right. You've got phones to answer or something out there, Palmer. I can tell. I'm sure I get the family standing outside. Can we come in yet? No, they're, they're all no. on the front porch. <laughs> Dad, are you masturbating? No, I'm on the I'm on the air. God damn it! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, I thought you're masturbating again. <laughs> All right. So, uh, another good episode of Bruce Strong. And, and if you like this uh, this kind of broadcasting, 
get yourself to thebrewerynetwork.com. I know you already know where it's at, right? Uh, go there, and there is a button to donate, right? A couple of bucks a month. Two bucks a month is all it takes, and you can support this kind of program. If you like it and you want to hear Palmer and myself provide whack. whatever kind of information that we're providing. Wax eloquent. Yes. <laughs> you know, whack, whack eloquent. We... we we will uh, we will continue to do that if you continue to uh, support this kind of program through supporting our sponsors, all of them, and uh, you know, including BlickmanEngineering.com. And uh, you know, you go there, two bucks a month, and you'll ensure that that this program keeps going. Just uh, sign up. You can do more if you want, but you also get all sorts of uh, great uh, entries into raffles for for prizes, all sorts of stuff, and it really uh, it really helps. It's only two bucks, cheaper than a magazine subscription in many cases, and uh, ten times the fun. All right. <laughs> so uh, until we hear you again, uh, we'll be back with more Bruce Strong as uh, as soon as we can. Uh, keep brewing, keep drinking, keep being a friend to other brewers, uh, and keep uh, keep on brewing strong. Bruce Strong, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>